Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood. Today I'm joined by someone who calls himself an uncommon entrepreneur. His name is Jeffrey Shaw. And for more than 30 years, he has been a top family photographer, uh, traveling to beautiful island locations, the country's wealthiest suburbs, and European destinations. His name is Jeffrey Shaw, and I'm excited to hear how he's been able to not only survive and thrive as a creative entrepreneur for more than three decades, learn how this game has changed and what us creative entrepreneurs can do to get a leg up on the future and really thrive and prosper going forward. He says that we live in a period called the New Renaissance, which I'm going to ask him about that during the interview. And uh, he's also the host of the popular business podcast, Creative Warriors, which teaches brave souls how to uh, prosper making art and giving their gifts. He helps other entrepreneurs gain clarity on their business vision, learn how to best serve people and gain the confidence they need to succeed. I'm excited to have him here and pick his brain. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> that was your turn for a long intro there. <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I just ignored it. <laughs> so perhaps you could tell me in your own words a little bit about your backstory. I'd like to get to know you and uh, you know, what have you been up to these last 30 years? Sure. Yeah, I love that. What have you been up the last 30 years? You know, and the truth of the matter is it goes by and it goes by so quickly. It's kind of a blur. And in my mind, I'm still the 20 year old. I just turned 52 uh, a couple of days ago and I still feel like the 20 year old entrepreneur when I went into business. Um, the funny thing was I recently spoke at a conference for people reentering the workforce or in job transition. And uh, after my program is later on in the day. So after spending the whole day with these people coming, you know, they're in the, they were all at some point in their life in their corporate world. Uh, when I started my presentation, I said, I'm willing to bet I'm the only person in this room who's never had a real job. <laughs> and, I, and I haven't. I mean, from the age of 14, I, I took on an entrepreneurial spirit and was selling eggs door to door and uh, then Christmas cards. And by 20 years old, I was a, a photographer. So the... Um, you know, so it is sort of a, it's, it's a, it's been, like I said, kind of a blur in, in that it's, gosh, it's gone by so quickly, but I, I love the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, I think, you know, what's transitioned for me the most when I, because I was so young when I went to business as a photographer uh, in the last seven or eight years, I've been a business coach, coaching other creatives in business. The biggest difference for me is that at 20 years old, uh, thankfully, I guess, I did everything by for my gut. I did everything from instinct. I did everything just in a way that felt right to me. But I can't say that I was highly conscious. I don't think I had the maturity to be as conscious of how I did things, which is what developed, you know, 10, 15 years later, I started, I realized I had hit a very high level of success as a photographer. And then that brought up the question, well, like, how did that happen? And then I started becoming more conscious so that I can help other people. So that's kind of where I'm at today and that, you know, my, through my coaching, my various coaching programs, uh, I'm really utilizing and leveraging my experiences over the past 30 years so I can help other creative entrepreneurs cut the chase and have successful businesses far quicker than, uh, than it took me to do. What I really admire about you, and you said it in the beginning there, you said you're so very young at heart, it seems, and you 
you exude passion and energy. How have you remained so passionate about your work over 30 years' time? Hmm. Um, you know, I don't know that I know any other way. I mean, I just, uh, it's just partly innately who I am. I mean, I just love this stuff. Like I literally could talk business all day, uh, because it's a, it's what excites me about business is yes, I like the results and I like the lifestyle that the results can provide, but more than anything, it's a process and, and business today. And, and well, for me, because I was a photographer and now a business coach, being in business has always been about relationships and, you know, what I love is to build relationships and to see how even, even sales, right? I mean, sales to me isn't, I'm not, I've never been as focused on the result of the sale, um, but rather directed my focus towards one service, but then secondly, watching and observing people go through the process. It fascinates me. Like the sales process, the decision-making process for people uh, fascinates me. So I, I think what really drives a lot of my passion is my unwavering curiosity about human psychology uh, and just, you know, what makes people tick. I, I find it absolutely fascinating and I'm excited to, for my feet to hit the floor every morning and, and start over again. <laughs> I love your attitude. I think that a lot of creatives, um, uh, they either want to do the creative work and maybe they don't want to have to deal with the clients as much. You know, where they don't want to have to sell themselves or do any of this stuff. But it seems like you enjoy both aspects equally. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it is a mind shift. You know, mind you, a lot of creatives, <coughs> you know, can be, and I consider myself an introvert, to be honest with you. I know my behavior isn't that way now, but most of my life I, I suffered from really significant shyness. Um, but, you know, passion kind of overrides that at some point, I guess you could say, and, and I just want to do my work. So I put myself out on a limb on an ongoing basis. But without a doubt, a lot of creatives do consider themselves to be more introverted. Therefore, the interaction with other people uh, is more challenging. But, you know, I, again, I think it, it depends on how deeply committed you are to your purpose. And when it gets a hold, I actually wrote an article, When Your Purpose is Out to Kill You. Like, I mean, that's somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, when your purpose gets a hold of you, when you are aligned with the work that you're most passionate about doing, I, I think you also what gets increased is your willingness to go out on a limb and do it. And, uh, and I do. I put my, I'm, a, I'm an active public speaker, which I love, love doing. But having come from a mindset and a background of being shy, that's a huge stretch for me. But it is such an ideal way to get the work out there that I do and, and affect the lives of a lot of people at one time that, of course, I'm going to show up and do it. So I, I think I totally respect uh, creatives that are challenged with being out in the world and, and building relationships. But at the same time, you know, I want to call them to the mat a little bit and say, you know, how can committed are you? How committed are you to doing the work that you're meant to do? And um, one thing that I do, hopefully different from my clients, is I'm not someone, I don't encourage people to, you know, jump out of your comfort zone, which is a very big, high motivation message a lot of people uh, work with. But for me, because I work with creatives, I'm always trying to get them to expand their comfort zone. So it's not about tearing off the Band-Aid and jumping out of your comfort zone, which I actually think causes a lot of people to retreat. Um, instead, I'm always encouraging my clients to expand their comfort zone. What's a, every day, what's a little bit that you can stretch to expand the area, the comfort zone from which you're comfortable working in. You wrote this article for the Huffington Post, When Your Purpose is Out to Kill You, and it sounds very similar to what another entrepreneur just said recently on the podcast. And um, he said that his success came from being absolutely obsessed. And he said that he can't relate to people who are not absolutely obsessed with their goals. 
um, it's, I kind of got the sense that like, you know, like people would come and ask him for help and he'd say, do this, this, and this. And then he, they would just give him some kind of excuse. And he's like, you know, if, if you're going to make excuses, then you're just settling for mediocrity. So I, I take it that you are someone who just never settles, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's um, the idea behind the article when I originally wrote it, it was really a person, as often is when we write things, it was a personal reflection. Actually, what I was battling at the time and have since changed. But at the time I wrote that article, when your purpose is out to kill you, it was, a, I was expressing how we can often, and I certainly was, kind of putting myself under the bus, right? I mean, when uh, when I really, the deeper and deeper I got into the personal development field and, and coaching others uh, and really just being absolutely lit on fire watching people transform themselves, which to this day is the most moving thing for me, I realized that I was also there was a lot of self-sacrifice in it unnecessarily. I let go of my yoga routine. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't eating as well. I wasn't getting as much sleep that, you know, I, I let, I allowed the, my sense of purpose and serving others to get a hold of me to such a degree that I was kind of throwing my own well-being under the bus. And, um, but recognizing it consciously and, and saying, you know, it's, it's not going to be forever. And I sense of just, you know, within, a month, this past month, I've made some dramatic life changes, including moving, you know, from Manhattan to Miami Beach and, you know, really altering my lifestyle to get on top of that again, uh, altering my work schedule significantly. But I feel like I had to go through the phase of, you know, just really being lit on fire by what I feel is my purpose to do at this point in my life. And, uh, but recognizing that, that it, at a, there was a period of time that it had a hold of me. And, and I mentioned it to a couple other, before I wrote the article, I'd mentioned this feeling to a couple other people. And uh, one of my coaches that I respected, he said, please, please write this article. There's so many people that are feeling that way that need to hear this. Uh, so that's, that's really the nature of where it came from. When you consult with people, what are some of the difficulties that uh, people are encountering and how do you help them? Is it, uh, I mean, well, I'd like to hear from your own words. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of gaps. I kind of, I've come to just look at them as gaps. And, and the encouraging thing is, is that I don't think most, most of my phrase is a little different. I think most people are so much closer to closing the gaps in their life and in their businesses than they realize. And that gives me a great deal of hope. Um, because, you know, coaching is not therapy. It's, you know, where that's one of the strong distinctions. I mean, coaching is not about, you know, looking back deep into the past and, and why, why did you get here? How did you get here? It's just, you're here now and where do you want to go? So, um, you know, there's a lot of what gives me great hope and what I try to pass on to my clients that from where they are today, from where they want to be is, is, it's a gap, but it's not insurmountable. You know, and there, there are many, there are a lot Creatives have a lot of hangups about money. They have a lot of uh, they 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 have a struggle with identifying their value. Um, I'll give you a couple of reasons why. I think one of the key reasons why creatives in business tend to struggle with naming their value is because what they're good at comes easy to them, right? And that's actually one of the things I really help my clients identify is. What comes easy for you, what the world wants more from you, actually has the highest value. But we so often are in this, this struggling mindset that work has to be hard, that to succeed has to be hard, that the life of an artist is all about sacrifice. So we, we find it easier to identify 
value and putting a price tag on what we, what's hard for us to do for other people. When it's actually the complete reverse. I mean, what comes easy to you, your natural gifts, that's why it comes easy to you because it's natural to you. Just give that. That actually has the highest value. Um, you know, and I do a lot of exercises with clients to help them find that. One thing that I ask them to do or I suggest that they do is keep a list of compliments that you've heard throughout your life and that you continue to hear. Like throughout your life, what have people said to you that they appreciate about you that you just kind of brush off? Like you're a good listener. Yeah, well, of course I am. You know, the things that you brush off and things that people have complimented you on are likely to be things that you exude so naturally that people are in a way saying, I want more of that from you. I would say the mother of all gaps between where people are and where they want to be is simply, and well, it's not, actually, there's nothing simple about it, <laughs> but it's a simple concept. The concept is you have to own who you are, right? No matter how quirky, unusual, uh, you know, I think we have to put aside false humbleness. Uh, we have to put aside this desire to be, you know, to be humble and, and live in humility. So, because we think that playing it small actually makes people more comfortable. I mean, we have to put all that aside and say, this is what I'm good at. This is who I am, quirky or not. I'm going to own it. I'm going to be me plus 50%. And that's how I'm going to show up in the world. That to me is the biggest gap. Like when we can close that, um, it is. It, it ups people's commitment. And then from a practical business perspective, it's marketable, right? Because today, in today's world, you have to stand out. It's such a noisy marketing world. That's why I tell my clients, be who you are plus 50%. Like up your game, be who you are, but let it shine even brighter so that the world knows who you are, what you stand for, and how you can help them. Yeah, that's great. That seems to be a common theme that we're seeing um, in these interviews is, you know, just put your personality out there on your website, you know, get, let people engage with you immediately. And people really seem to respond to that really well. Uh, you yeah, said something, uh, yeah. sorry about it. You said something interesting also when you said, um, what comes easy to you is, uh, has a lot of value. And I, I find that difficult to accept sometimes because I always feel like I'm looking for the next challenge, you know, and if I'm doing something that I've done so many times before, that's so easy that I, I feel like I'm not pushing myself. And yeah. I, I feel like I might, I might even be holding myself back with these little mental roadblocks, but I can see how like they're not, maybe not the best, maybe not causing me to make the best business decisions. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like I said, it's, it's interesting watching creatives go through this process because they, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of like photographers because I work having with my background being photographers, I work with a lot of photographers. So it's interesting that photographers have no problem charging a lot of money to photograph a wedding. Why? Because it's hard. <laughs> It takes up a lot of time. It's it's laborious. You're on the run. Um, you know, everybody knows photographing a wedding is hard. So they'll command whatever price that they're comfortable, you know, commanding. And then that very same photographer will want to do portraits and they'll charge a fa fraction of the price to photograph a family at their home because it only takes an hour and a half, right? So, um, but what I push back on, it's like, but it's not about how hard it is. It's what's the value. I mean, the interesting thing is that, you know, 50% of those weddings you're photographing are going to, to break up, you know, whereas the, you know, that family portrait, yes, you know, yeah, even with divorce rate, I mean, the families, I find families that call a family photographer are only doing so because their family is pretty strongly intact, right? So that family portrait you just created has tremendous value. It probably has lifelong value, and yet they struggle to charge as much because it's not as hard. 
They only had to show up for an hour and a half. It was an easy, it was an enjoyable, God forbid, right? It was a beautiful, enjoyable experience of photographing a family on the beach. Somehow, they have a, a lot of creators have a hard time charging as much for that as they do the struggle of photographing a 10-hour wedding. And it's all because of, you know, they're equating that to what's, that there's more value in what's hard. There's more value in what there's more value in. It doesn't have to be that it's hard. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we tend to, we need to break that chain of the difficulty to the price, the hourly price that really holds us back, I think. And if, if we can find a way to work smarter, not harder, and, um, you know, go from earning $20 an hour, you know, editing wedding photos versus, you know, $250, $500 an hour, then why not, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, but I you think know, really that- we have to, in today's world, more often than not, what, what, most creatives in business, and by creatives, by the way, by the way, I want to clarify, I'm not just speaking to traditional artists. I mean, the, the term creative, I mean, first off, as soon as you go into business, you're a creative in business. Because even if you've never thought of yourself as a creative before, you suddenly are. But you have to create, you know, unless you start a business with a full marketing department and everything else, you're going to be creating your own marketing. You're going to be creating your own schedule. So you're a creative by simply being self-employed today. And um, the... You know, one of the the challenge for uh, creatives around this idea of it, it being hard is that they. Sorry, I'm struggling with the looks. I feel like I don't want to reiterate what I had already said. Um, sorry, actually, I just lost my train of thought there for a second, Danny. What was the question oh, you asked? You, you, I want to get back on point. You were talking about marketing, and I actually wanted to ask you about marketing. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I've, I've attributed your success and what you've told me so far based on your personality, um, your mindset, how much you love people. You also love doing the work. And um, now we were talking about marketing. And I would love to ask you about this, you know, how you, um, you know, managed to get the price you wanted, how you managed to uh, keep clients, how did you manage them, and, you know, how were you successful in that end? Yeah. So I'd say business 101 is about alignment. Um, and what I mean by that is actually being very clear on who you're working with and what their needs are. Now, it, as a photographer, I ended up working with uh, a very affluent clientele. And I did not come from that. I didn't come from affluence of any kind. And you know, one would describe my childhood as you know, middle class to lower middle class. And yet I wound up working with you know, the top half of 1% in the United States. Um, so I didn't come from that, but I understood them. And I understood them because, for one, I just I had an innate – I identified, even at a very young age in my early 20s, I identified some innate qualities that I had that resonated with this audience. For example, I'm a very long-term thinker. As a photographer, I'm producing portraits because of what they will mean to families in the future, many, many years, generations in the future. And what I realized, there's, there's an economic relationship to that because people that are struggling to pay their rent and their mortgage don't think long-term. That's where I come from. You know, I come from a background in a community where people were struggling to, to make the mortgage payment or the rent payment that month. You know, thinking about life insurance and investing in portraits for generations to come isn't on their mind. They're worried about making their expenses that month. So I realized there was a, a social, social economic equation to people who, who are long-term thinkers, that you have to have a certain amount of liquidity um, and affluence in order to have the benefit of thinking long-term. So for one, it was finding the people that shared my values. Uh, and that was a, a very strong identifiable value I had that I, I really, I was a very long-term thinker. So I had to find the people that had the, um, 
the economic situation to afford to think in the future. So that was one thing. And then it was just a matter of understanding their lifestyle. And I spent a lot of time in environments, high-end restaurants, high-end stores. Um, I educated myself because the fact of the matter is, this is not something you can get in an MBA. Like you can't, you don't learn these things in, in business school. So I had to teach myself. I had to educate myself as to what their what the world looked like from their perspective. Um, you know, I actually wrote an e-guide called In Their Shoes, and it's kind of about that. It's about marketing to the affluent so that they could understand, you know, how does the world look like from their shoes? So at the end of the day, marketing... All the things you're asking about, I would I would put it all in one bucket of what I refer to as you know business 101 is about alignment and, and making sure that you are clear on what your skill set is, who the people are that want that, what makes them think, how do they tick, and line all that up so that you're not you know you're not barking up the wrong tree, which I, I do. You know, then there's a market reality. You want to make sure that you're, whether it's national, international, or local, you want to make sure that you have the the market support that can support that alignment as well. Wow, Jeffrey, that was such a great answer there. So it's it's really a, a huge mindset shift between successful people and low income earning people, and affluent people think about the long term. So how can entrepreneurs, uh, how do entrepreneurs who think long term act differently? How does that guide their business? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that question because it actually ties in what we were saying earlier, which is knowing what you're good at, right? So what something here's the here's the compliment I've heard my whole life that I've always brushed off, which is you're so neat, you're so organized. You know, I I have always been neat and organized, and I mean from a very young age. So I've brushed that compliment off my whole life because you know, of course, isn't everybody? And I thought everybody was until I started getting into relationships <laughs> and realizing, good lord, most people are really sloppy. Um, but being neat and organized is is natural and easy for me, and I realize that has a tremendous value to the people that I photograph, the affluent people I photograph. Being organized has huge value to them, and I charge accordingly for that because. They're busy. They're successful people. That is their mindset. You know, if they're working outside the home, they're running big companies. They're they have homes that run like corporations, right? With multiple staff and all that. So they're busy. So what they need is a family photographer that's so organized that I make sure everything gets done for them when it should be done. For example, I always I make sure that all their kids get photographed at the same age. And it's actually, that ties into my own personal story. I'm the youngest of three boys. Uh, To the best of my ability to this day, I have found just one photograph of my entire childhood. And, um, you know, a lot of reasons for that. My family, we never went to professional photographers. Um, But I was the youngest of three boys. By the time I came along, my parents, you know, financially, it was a tough time. And my mom went back to work. um, And, you know, I was the youngest of three boys. I'm sure they were just bored at that point. So I'm the complete, you know, my own personal story led me to understand working with this, these clients that are able to think long-term, they don't, they would never be able to live with themselves, not treating all their kids equally. It's not like two of the kids can go to Yale and one goes to, you know, public college, right? I mean, they, that's not their lives. They also would feel equally bad if any of their kids got older and said, well, you know, why are there all these portraits on the wall of my older brother and sister and none of me, right? They, they don't, that would, that's not acceptable to them. So that's where I come in being the neat and organized person that I am. I make sure all that gets done for them. 
And it's, it's interesting when you step into that, that core service that you can provide for people that it never feels like sales to them. I contact my clients on a daily basis and remind them, hey, you know, we need to photograph, you know, Susie. So we photographed your other kids at the same age. Or, hey, it's, it's time of the year that we do your annual holiday card portrait. It's interesting that that never feels like sales to them. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for you that you're organized. Thank you for reminding us. Let's get that booked. Right? Because it's not, it, again, it's, it's fascinating to me how that never feels like sales to them because it's tapping into what I refer to their deeper need. Nobody has ever called me and said, hey, can you help me be organized? But that's exactly what I provide for them because I actually understand that at the end of the day, that's mostly what they appreciate and see value in. Yeah, that's a great point. I noticed that when I was uh, doing advertising services, I would do things like SEO, uh, web design, things like this. But what the client really wanted was they wanted communication. You know, after the proposal was signed, they wanted uh, to know, you know, what's the status of my project? You know, are we making progress? Uh, stuff like this. And that was the thing where most people were failing is that after the contract was signed, there would be suddenly like a drop-off in communication between the contractor and the client. So yeah. even though they, they, they won't tell you that they want that, they really, really do want that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's no different with your personal relationships, right? I mean, giving your significant other what they ask for, hey, you know, can you rub my shoulder? You know, they appreciate that. But it's the, you know, it's the showing up with flowers that you know that they want that they didn't even ask for. But you know that that's something that they love, that they, uh, there's a book written many, many years ago called The Five Love Languages, uh, which is really magnificent for understanding this. And uh, I have three kids and every one of my kids is a different love language. But having really understood like, you know, one of my, uh, one of my daughters is all about quality time. And, uh, you know, my son is all about words of affirmation, right? But my daughter who loves quality time, I could tell her she's great to the end of the day and she couldn't care less because she knows it, right? So she doesn't need those words of affirmation. What she needed as a child was for me to sit down and play dolls with her for an hour. That meant the world to her. Where for my son, he doesn't so much want my time. He wants me to, you know, reflect back to him that I'm proud of who he is and, and I'm extremely proud of who he is. So, that's that hidden language that we, we, you want to, it's valuable in your personal life. It's a tremendously valuable in your business as well. If you can, can tap into, you know, maybe not one client at a time, but what you'll realize is that when you're working with your ideal client, there's very common denominators and their characteristics. Like I said, I work with successful people who are affluent. There's commons, you know, they're all busy. They all need, you know, they all love and want my support in helping them be organized. Um, they all want my support in, I know every detail of every portrait and frame they have in their house so that I can make recommendations for them that they trust and believe in. So I, I suggest to people, and certainly for your listeners, to know that we all live on two planes of our acknowledged need and our hidden need. Or deeper need. You know, our acknowledged need is what we we ask for. But underneath, we all have that deeper need that we love to have fulfilled, but we we can't even identify with it sometimes to ask for it. And boy, if you can tap into that with your who you're serving in business, that you know, that's the sweet sauce. And so to understand that deeper need, we really have to know our clients. Is that just coming down to uh, having a conversation with them, you know, meeting with them face to face and, and seeing what their, I guess, insecurities are and what they 
really want in life, I guess? You know, I think you can ask, you know, there's always <laughs> these, uh, you know, surveys and I think that's really skimming the surface. Um, and it might work surveys and things like that might work for, you know, some businesses or bigger companies, but I think for your typical creative entrepreneur, those of us that are, you know, solopreneurs or small teams where we have really intimate businesses, I, I'm continually shocked at how intimate business can be, both as a photographer and as a business coach, that um, I think it's more than conversation. I think it is, to me, the biggest self-sacrifice of being in business is your willingness to get out of yourself and be in the other person's shoes. It's, it's compassion. It's empathy. That, to me, is the biggest sacrifice. And it's not a sacrifice we talk about a lot in business, but it is the, it's the willingness to, to walk in someone else's shoes to such a degree that you know how the world looks like from their perspective. And this is what I do all the time as both a, a photographer and as a coach. Um, it also helps me identify who I can serve as a coach and as a photographer, because it's, it's those people who I have willingly walked in their shoes. I've, I have walked in the shoes of being a creative entrepreneur for more than 30 years. I know the challenges. I know the internal conflicts that come up. That's how I want to help. That's how I want to show up and help people and help people get through those conflicts quicker than I did. So, um, yes, you can have conversation. It's a good place to start, but I think the, the higher calling is for your willingness to really embody what it feels like, what the world looks like from the, from the perspective of the people you want to serve. Yeah, that's great. Empathy is so important. And it's really just about genuinely caring about the other person and you know, genuinely willing to be able to help them. And I feel like most people are, can't get beyond their own wants and needs to understand what their market or what the people they work with actually want. So what uh, we're on, you know, you've got a lot to say about you know sales and psychology. I'm just curious um, for people who are struggling to find clients. You know, how else do you help them? You have a lot of uh, concepts that you mentioned on your site, like um, sequencing. You know, ways to uh, be found by clients. What, what kind of uh, how do you usually go in and help someone? If because that's the biggest challenge that that most people have is that they can't get enough clients or they can't get enough customers. Yeah. Or they get the wrong customers, you know, yes, they're, they're wrong customers too. Yeah. You know that I hear a lot. It's like, well, you know, even if their business is trucking along, they're like, but I don't like who I'm working with. So, you know, and again, I definitely have seen this evolve for the past three, three years. I think the pivotal point is what I refer to as a standout statement. And this is, this is also the pivotal point in my online coaching program, the creative warrior unleashed, uh, which is a, uh, an online program where the beginning it's, uh, there's eight units to the program. The first four units are really about self-discovery. What I refer to as taking the lid off so that you're kind of, uh, you know, opening up all possibilities. It's also about a lot of self-discovery about finding what is it that you're naturally good at. Um, what's the story behind that? You know, what's the deeper story? Like why, how does that make sense? And that's always the result of that work. People, it's the only time in my coaching process that I have my clients go into their past and they, they, they look and say, oh my gosh, it makes perfect sense that I am that way, right? Suddenly it all makes sense. When we've hit that key point of it making sense, we then can step into the very practical step of creating what I call a standout statement. So a standout statement is the modern day version of a slogan or a tagline. 
And I say modern day because we live in the age of authenticity and transparency. And that's what slogans and ta- slogans and taglines lack energy. They're, they're created from the head. There's something people think about, but it's not something that comes from within. Where a standout statement, because it's the result of internal, uh, deeper work, when one creates their standout statement, which is a sentence from three to nine words long, when they create that standout statement, it comes so far from within, it might on the surface look like a tagline, but the people that get it get the energy of it and the value and the meaning behind it more than they see the words. And it is, it's, it's such a tool. It, and I always say, we know a standout is perfect when it is meaningful to the, the entrepreneur and extremely marketable. Because at the end of the day, that's as a business coach, that's my goal is to help people have outstanding businesses. So that standout statement becomes your lead on your website, all your marketing material. And it should be done, I refer to it as both a magnet and a filter. People that that share your values should get your, your standout statement. People that don't share your values should kind of be confused about what you're even talking about. But people that get it get it strongly. And that's what you need in business today because you have very little time. That's why I say our parameters are three to nine words. You have very little time to get somebody's attention and you have to stand out amongst the crop. So the only way that you can really do that is give people, once you get eyes on your website, on your material, you want to give you want to make, help people acknowledge that they found the right person. And when people feel that way, price goes out the window. Like when people genuinely feel like, oh my gosh, I found, finally found the right person to cut my hair. <laughs> That's the, you know, this is the right person for me. Do we really care about price as much? It definitely becomes secondary if, if at all, right? Because you just have such that feeling of I found the right person. So that's what I'm striving for with the standout statement and working with my clients. Yeah, that's a great point. There's so many websites that you might arrive at or someone might land on and you're like, well, what is it? You know, what do they do? And it's like, well, I'm yeah. not really sure because I can't really succinctly state it like you just said in their standout yeah. statement. I would say, you know, if I can reiterate that, that yeah. I became very clear on this when I started my podcast nearly two years ago because we were being contacted by a lot of people who wanted to be a guest, um, and you know, you know this too. Is first you're hunting down guests, and eventually, you know, suddenly people are calling you, and we'd be vetting. So we spent more of our time vetting people with very little time. And I have a team of a couple people who do most of the vetting. What made the difference as to whether we said yes, you'd be the perfect guest or not, was when we went to their Twitter page or their website. If we understood instantly what they stood for, we don't have the time to dig through your stuff. So what really stood out to me where the development of this standout statement came from is how powerful it was when I would go to somebody's website and they would have a statement. Like one, one example, this uh, an author, Tom Asaker, great guy, went to his website and it said, we all become the stories we tell. Like, I'm immediately compelled. Why? Because that's the way I think. Right to to somebody else that might be like oh that's too woo woo means that but I this is the way I think so I read that and I'm like whoa what does that mean I want to know more get this guy on as a guest right so that's the power of that standout statement but again I I don't believe that you can create a genuine energetic standout statement without getting very clear about what you stand for and the work that you're meant to do and who you serve. 
Yeah, and I want to add, I visited your Twitter page just before this interview, and you've inspired me to redesign my Twitter photo <laughs> as well. <Just> because <laughs> it's, you have this, this look in your eye, and you have this, you know, it says freedom fighter for the uncommon entrepreneur. It's just like yeah. clarity that cuts through the chaos, like instantly. I know exactly yeah. what you're about and what you stand for. And uh, for me, it's, just a, it's a picture of me climbing a tree, but I'm going to change it after this. You've inspired me to do that. The standout statement on my Twitter, on my, uh, Twitter profile page, which gets about five tweets a day, I'm not kidding, like constant, is it says forcing focus blocks creativity. Four words, forcing focus blocks creativity. Every creative who just felt liberated by reading that contacts me. They're like, you know, I love that. It's so true. I mean, we get tweets all day long. You know, people that are of very logical mind think that I've just completely gone against all traditional wisdom. Like, well, how could you say that? You know, we're told in business we have to focus on one thing. But creatives who know what that feels like totally resonate with that statement that forcing focus blocks creativity. And that calls forward just the perfect type of person that that I can serve best. Yes, I understand that completely. Uh, so I know you have uh, you have to get off this call soon, but there was one question I wanted to ask you. One more question I wanted to ask you, and um, I guess now that we talked about the standout statement, you know, like getting your brand together. How about what, what, what works for you as far as prospecting? Do you proactively uh, go out to clients? What do you recommend to people? Do they uh, create opportunities, apply for jobs? Uh, what do you recommend? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every business is going to be unique. I mean, that's, that's as a coach, I mean, I'd have to dig further. Uh, I don't want to be irresponsible to anybody, you know, to, to make suggestions that don't apply to them. But for me personally, yeah. um, I used to, honestly, I used to hate the word thought leader or the phrase thought leader, cause it always sounded so egotistical. But at the end of the day, I realized that is what people hire, people hire me for my thoughts. So I have to learn to lead with my thoughts. So most of my, uh, coaching clients, uh, come from content, whether it's an article I write for Huffington Post or uh, content I put out on my blog or my website or social media. Um, we have a really active Facebook group, Creative Warriors Unite, a closed group. People come in there. So it's I've learned that I have to lead with my unique way of thinking so that the people, you know, all the other creatives in the world that uh, – are feeling stymied and perplexed by traditional business. Um, when I put out my thoughts and they're like, wow, this is a different way of being in business. This is a different mindset than what I hear from other people. When I lead with my thoughts, it, it magnetizes people and people contact me. So I said, every business is going to be different. Um, that is my, my primary lead uh, so that I can help people with my online coaching program as well as one-to-one coaching is really getting my thoughts out there and letting those thoughts resonate with the people that understand my perspective. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned thought leader. I tend to call it uh, being a rock star. And it's really just being that person um, who can help them get to the next level. You know, that can yeah. really, really, really help them and really give them a lot of value. Well, exactly. Like for you, I mean, you, I can yeah. see why you would identify with Rockstar. Like that makes <laughs> sense to me because you you are living the life that a lot of people would aspire to live, that, that world traveler. And so there is a – yeah, so you'd want to lead with that lifestyle Rockstar brand. Um, you know, and people that that want that, get that, fantasize about that, you know, more – and you can see it. You and I would wind up working with two very different people because of that. Yeah, well, when I say rock star, I also mean like a lot of credibility, a lot of social proof, um, yeah. uh, maybe case studies, you know, show them that you can get them results. Um, yeah. You know, look, I've written five books, you know, I'm a thought leader, like you said. 
uh, and just just being like so like overqualified and being the expert, you know, being that expert consultant that they can trust, and that's when price becomes no issue. That's kind of what I, I mean it. when I say when I say rock star. <laughs> but yeah, you are a rock star. I identify <laughs> you as being a rock star. You're not. You're a rock star too, Jeffrey. So well, like I said, say that, that's we had to put aside the humbleness. I said the biggest gap is people owning who you are. Own your rock star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. You've really inspired me to this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. And I know that you have a free gift for people. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Um, it's really it's a fun week-long program called Week of the Warrior, uh, which is a, a seven-day online, you know, short little program where every day you're emailed a question. It's a powerful question, something for you to think about. And you reply to that question, and in return, you get an email with a piece of the puzzle. And at the end of the one week, you um, this whole thing, the pieces of the puzzle come together to create an infographic that we call the path of the creative warrior. So it is uh, uh, laying out the, the path and the way of thinking over seven days so that you can you know, attack the world as a, as a creative warrior. And uh, they can get that at weekofthewarrior.com. Okay, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And awesome. you'll be able to find your creative power and unleash the warrior in you. Who could possibly say no to that? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Jeff. Have a great day. You too. My pleasure. Take care.